Be good. <laughs> there friends and strangers thanks for tuning in this is the monkey tooth podcast if you've come here by accident if you've come here on purpose we're glad you're back we're glad you're here i'm andrew and my wife tiffany is sitting in the front seat of the van looking at the map intently uh looks like she's looking at alberta which we're not heading to anytime soon but whatever (laughs) i trust her oh nope she's looking at british columbia which is where we currently are we're in a town called lillouette and we've been around this area for about three days now. We've been hiking and camping and, and just uh, hanging out, playing in a lake and rivers and creeks, looking at beautiful scenery. If you've not been to Lillooet before, I know I keep saying this about every place we go, but I mean it. you got to go to Lillooet. you got to just get, get up here. Take a trip. Come see it. It's gorgeous. We've been... Um, very, very fortunate to meet some really incredible people on this journey, uh, not the least of whom is the gentleman you're about to hear from in this episode. Mr. Michael Abelman was our guest. We met him on Salt Spring Island, I don't know, three, four weeks ago, uh, thanks to a gentleman by the name of David Kupfer. I've been mispronouncing his name on the podcast, and I apologize. David Kupfer, very, very kind uh, and generous with his contacts, and he put us in touch with Michael Abelman. Michael is someone that I don't know that I would have gotten a chance to meet otherwise. He is uh, a pioneer in the organic food movement. He's been working on on sustainable agriculture and and food that's not only grown in a responsible way uh, with organic inputs and 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 just absolute zero or or minimal um, chemical inputs. I mean, he's an organic farmer. It's the real deal. But he's also very keen on sustainability and sort of the working environment behind the food. You know, are people happy? Do they feel cared for? Do they like the work they're doing? Um, That's a huge part of his ethos. Um, And it's what he lectures about around the world. It's what he helps uh, consult with on, on projects all over the world. And it's what he actually does in his actual farm. When we met Michael... It was very busy. It's spring up here, and he was planting. And uh, when I say he was planting, we showed up, and he was on his hands and knees working on it, planting. Dirty hands, dirty clothes, was hungry, hadn't eaten lunch because he skipped it to fix a problem. I mean, the guy's literally a farmer. He's not just out talking about farming. He's not just doing the the book tours, uh, which, you know, he certainly could be. He's an excellent author. He's got four books out. One of them is uh, Street Farm. Uh, it's, um, what's the subtitle here? It's Growing Food, Jobs, and Hope on the Urban Frontier. He's involved in a actual street farm in Vancouver in a really uh, impoverished and unchallenged area in Vancouver. Uh, and you can check it out. They're called Soul Food Street Farms, S-O-L-E-F-O-O-D street farm um really really fascinating stuff uh the guy is full of knowledge and uh i asked him a 
bunch of questions and I loved every answer he gave me. So uh, yeah, that's coming up here in just a second. I want to say thank you to all of you who are listening at all. Those of you who are writing uh, reviews for us, thank you so much. Uh, the iTunes reviews are really, really helpful. They help people find this show. So just even if you just click five stars, that's fine. If you write something, it's really, really helpful. So if you haven't done that already, feel free to go do that right away. Um, thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Thanks for the GoFundMe uh, support. It all really helps us get down the road. We're working on uh, some stickers and a t-shirt. If that's something that you're interested in, give us a shout. You can go to mtp.dog forward slash contact and drop us a letter. Tell us what you think. Or you can just send us something on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Monkey Tooth Podcast. So yeah, you can find us, tell us what you think, reach out, give me some suggestions. And oh, I get this a lot. If you're wondering about the music that we play on this show, it's very easy to find. On our website, I put up a list of every tune, every artist, um, and I'm going to start actually putting in hyperlinks so that when you go to those, that site, our site, uh, you can click on um, each song and find out where to buy it. Because uh, I, I really like all this music, and it's important that you understand that I have paid for every single song. I, I buy the music that we have. We don't steal it off the internet, so there's that okay uh i feel like i'm rambling so i'm gonna stop doing that and just get to this episode with mr michael abelman i hope you enjoy it as much as we did all right thank you michael abelman yeah my for, pleasure yeah for having us on this beautiful yeah. property yeah now is this is your full-time home you live here it is, yeah. I, I um, <laughs> it's funny. I had to think about that. <laughs> I just work here. <laughs> I keep waiting for the owner to arrive home and, uh, you know, send me on vacation or something. But, right. Uh, yeah. No, we co-own this. We have land partners, uh, uh, family who live in California, who who are here part of the summer, and and um, uh, and yeah, we're the operating partners. We run the thing and. And uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm usually not here much in the winter, not because for any particular reason, except that I'm off doing other stuff, other work elsewhere. It's my time to write or teach or whatever. So 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 I'm here. You know, this is a you know for eight months. This is full on, but then I'm also interspersed with a project I run in, in the city of Vancouver. You know, so yeah. Yeah, we would definitely want to talk to you a little yeah. bit about that. Before we get too far into um, where you are, I mean, you're we're going to do a, a sort of you know punch up on who you are, and, and your yeah. your bio is really readily available. Anybody can. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't look in all those places, but <laughs> it's probably it's good for you not to, I guess. But uh, you're you're not hard to learn about. We. Yeah. Uh, We've we've had a crash course on your life since our mutual acquaintance David Cupper kind of turned us oh, on yeah. to, to what you're yeah. what you're up to and uh, you know there's there's a lot out there about you for sure but yeah. what I wanted to get into was more of uh, I mean we know you you landed at a in Ojai at a at a Santa commune Barbara. north oh uh, oh you mean the commune yeah yes yeah, yeah. east of Ojai yeah and right. uh, well Sunburst had a multiple 
locations. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's that. Getting there is what I'm interested in. Like, mm-hmm. there's. I mean, for I've known a lot of chefs and 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 some farmers and some people who are really passionate about food, whether it's just feeding people or creating food, and they've got a a drive for that. And some of them came from agricultural backgrounds, you know. Uh, but what I want to know is how you ended up. What what made you want to go to Ohio? Was it like some sort of intellectual pursuit, or was it a a <laughs> spiritual thing, a mystical thing, or d- is there a difference to you? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was a kid. I was 18 years old when I uh, joined that. Uh, it was essentially an agrarian commune, you know. Um, uh, and uh, I had actually I had been living in uh, the eastern part of British Columbia, near uh, outside of Nelson, um, and I'd heard about this this community down there and and um, hitchhiked down there and. Um, what year was this? Uh, well, let's see. That would have been, uh, I don't know. I can't do the math. I'm I'm 63. I'll be 64 this summer, and I was 18, so I don't know. You can yeah. figure that out. I'm we'll leave chron- that to our I'm chronologically listeners. chronologically challenged. <laughs> yeah, um, so, yeah, I mean, um, I think what drew me towards that community was probably somewhat multifaceted. I uh even at that time I looked around at the world and wondered what you know um, what the hell could I possibly do that would not in terms of a livelihood that would not require sucking the life out of the world which most livelihoods were doing you know and um, I knew that the community had an agricultural or an agrarian base to it it was also a, considered a spiritual community which is a term that I use cautiously because it's I don't really, I'm not sure I entirely know what it means, but at the time it apparently had a meaning to me, which was probably um, uh, that there was uh, uh, an opportunity to um, develop my internal life as a, and as a young person that was interesting to me. And I think that I was also interested in kind of uh, communal living rather than isolated individual living, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, all those things were a draw. And, um, of course, you know, the romanticism of, of those elements versus the reality of the experience is always, you know, they're, they're not always lined up perfectly, you know. And that's, that was part of the experience was, you know, discovering that, you know, life is real and duality exists everywhere and that you, you know, you, you know, in spite of the best presentation that we all make to the world, um, we're all dealing with a whole complexity of forces, you know, and that community was as well, of course. You yeah. Know, so yeah. that was a good lesson. You know, so. Yeah, I can imagine that. uh that leads me to something else. We'll get to your book in a bit. Yeah. The, uh, the the street food, uh, street farm, yeah. street farm, yeah. street farm book. That's all right. That's all right. No, that's it's, not the first time that mistake's been made. <laughs> I'm I'm a little hungry. I think yeah. that oh, jeez. <laughs> no, no, no. That. I'm always a little hungry. It's okay. not because I haven't eaten. It's just a, we're talking about those personal issues, those demons we're chasing. <laughs> Mine is like the urge to pee and the, the desire to eat, kind of almost <laughs> accompany everything I do. So it's, yeah, no, I uh, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, so you're, you know, 
you're talking about the the sort of the failures, not necessarily yeah. failures, but things that didn't necessarily yeah. that disabuse you of the romantic notion of communal living. Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I don't actually see them as failures. I see them as, I mean, that that every community is. I mean, you, I thought I maybe was uh, running away from the world, but I actually discovered that they. It was just a microcosm of the world, you know. You know, and my own stuff, of course, went wherever I went, you know. So um, I think the, uh, for me, there was, that was incredibly valuable, informative, because that's where I cut my chops in farming, you know. I was there for four months, and I was asked to run this 100-acre pear and apple orchard that was existed east of Ojai, California. Like, the Sunburst Farms had uh, four different parcels, thousands of acres, actually. And one of those parcels was this 100-acre pear and apple orchard in this incredible high desert valley. You know. Of course, you know, at 18 years old, I knew nothing about orcharding. And um, there I was, you know, at 18. I'm directing a crew of 40 people who are older than I was. Uh, I had a 1930s copy of uh, a book called Modern Fruit Science, which was an awesome book. You know, I wished I somewhere somebody borrowed it and never brought it back. The journal from the guy who had run it previously and given up in frustration, you know. And then a copy of uh, my credo, uh, Goethe's famous quote, or at least the quote that's attributed to Goethe. Whatever you can do or dream you can begin it, boldness has genius, magic, and power in it. That quote attached to the door of my 20-foot unheated trailer, which was where I was living. I still, that, that still pasted all over my walls in my office. Stay in the shade Until you reach the grave Hide from yourself And see how you fail And see how you fail How's the wind? And so, uh, you know, I it was an incredible experience because um, I realized that um, in spite of my entire and complete lack of experience, that a beginner's mind is actually sometimes a helpful thing, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, as a young, young men are arrogant generally. Uh, I think that's a trend I haven't I didn't really recognize the intensity of it till I got a little bit older and and employed younger men you know um, but er, the arrogance is a driving force to an ego to some degree to get us to move forward and do stuff right so I suppose I, I must have had some of that at the time um, or I wouldn't have been able to get up each morning you know um, but it was kind of it was crazy. I didn't know anything, but we made it happen. We, you know, the the result of that is, um, you know, the ultimate conclusion was that good food is more than just the confluence of fertile soil and good technique. It's the passion of the people that are doing the work. It's the sense of community, um, and that 
that group that I worked with, there was, it was the thing that, the reason I'm still farming was because of that group of people. And the energy they had for the work they were doing, the, 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 we you know, went to work every day, it was like going to an all-day party, you know. We chat, we talked, and we pruned, you know, we would work for, you know, pruned in the winter for four months straight, thin fruit in the spring for eight weeks, and harvest marathon in the fall. It could have, on some level, been incredibly painful and like the worst drudgery, but it was, it was amazing, you know. Work got done, the apples, you know, gained a reputation around the country, and, and I'm still doing farming, so there you go. That was a real formative, that was, that was it, yeah. I mean, it was, that valley was spectacular. It was super quiet and the biggest skies you could imagine, you know. I mean, unbelievable place, high desert. Um, so I love that land. I love the climate out there. Um, and uh, I really loved the work. And I was, I was excited by the intellectual challenge of the work, you know. So. Yeah, I think that gets overlooked and by you know most of society what farming is about you know when you, you think about farming you just think of people in the dirt don't know what anything else to do but right. dig in the dirt it's a completely complex and highly intellectual pursuit oh in yeah i mean that is the has been i should say a perception is that it's a kind of a lowly profession that people do because they couldn't do anything else kind of a form of drudgery you know um but it is a, it is true. It's highly complex. It's super creative. It requires a s skill set that's just incredibly broad, you know. And um, and it's still, in spite of all the lip service given to it, and trust me, there's a lot of it, you know, movies and the books. It's still not given its due, to be honest. I don't think. I think there's you know a lot of this, you know, a lot of chatter. The chefs get this incredible these incredible accolades, but you don't see that amongst farmers. You know, so. No, no. There are very few famous farmers. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and most of those have, you know, that was a direct pursuit. I know them. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, all of them. That was a, so, yeah. That was, they the, were, that was their goal. Yeah, know, so. yeah. And more, more power to you. You, wanna, <laughs> you start a business to sell it, you get into farming to get famous, and you make it, good on well, you. Well, they're <laughs> spreading the word, good word. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. It was, it was, um, <laughs> You know, watching TED Talks and listening to, to speeches that you've made and things like that, that uh, to show up and see you today sitting with a machete and uh, replanting a bad batch of strawberries <laughs> with dirty hands, that's the that's the yeah. genuine article. Unless you've staged that for our benefit, which I can't imagine. <laughs> well, I was pretty offended years ago when I was farming in Santa Barbara because I, I was at the market closing the market down on a Saturday and... Uh, slinging boxes you know and and loading things up and a chef friend of mine from the midwest um who started a really renowned project there um showed up and said oh, wow she was kind of taken aback you really do this work i was like what how dare you <laughs> excuse me <laughs> no what yeah. do you think you yeah know? no it's i've got the hands to show it but yeah I don't, you do you know so yeah well, anyway, yeah. No, you clearly love it. I mean, this when you talked about the the intentionality behind the food 
and it, it it works its way all the way through into a kitchen yeah. and you've certainly been in kitchens where everybody's pissed off and the food just doesn't quite you know isn't well quite that right. is really i i think a lot of restaurant kitchens are run on anger you know there's just all that i i can almost taste it sometimes you know if i'm in yeah i mean it's hard uh, it, it's uh, look um that is uh i have to say you know that is a profession i would not wish on anybody you know with all due respect i say that it's not you know i i i think there's nothing i can't imagine i say there's one profession that's more stressful and demanding than the one i'm in and that's running the restaurant business and the hours the bad air the light the you know the the pressure to perform and always be on and have like maybe you do this work are you guys chefs i'm a i'm a recovering restaurateur (laughs) i thought maybe you were yeah she's a nurse i mean she's well you needed that man yeah she's had a lot of uh, (laughs) you talk about a service job that's unthanked boy that is one yeah there's another one moms nurses yeah no i've i've done my my time in the trenches at restaurants um so you know i'm not i'm yeah but no it it, but the one thing i'll say is you know you can not every day on the farm is a joy and not every moment in the restaurant is a joy and the anger that can often fuel something is um, a result of passion. You uh, know, it's, it's a byproduct because yeah, yeah. it's not things can't just be. Yeah, because uh, you want it to be right. You want it to be right. You, you want, want it to be it to right. Be yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me that in a kitchen, it's almost expected that the, that you will there will be a um, that this demand for perfection, but people have a harder time accepting that in the work that we do here and we are equally particular it's from my perspective it's all the little things the details uh done well that make for a successful farm the big ideas are great but they're in the end it's the little stuff done well you know and it's hard to get that across to younger people who um might look at a field and at the scale and think oh this is just you know, bulk, whatever, you know. But actually, you know, our what we do is really particular, though, you know, um, even on the scale, you know, so. Yeah, and and you're in the midst of it trying to build a community. You've got kind of a community of people here. I mean, you're sharing land with another family. That's right. The, the guys that we met, I mean, I can tell you have an affinity and a love for those guys. Uh, we're and, having fun. Yeah, it's a project. We're having fun. One guy just started just this this week. Oh, uh, the great. other guy's been with us for a while, and Daniel's awesome. You know, he lives in the neighborhood. Just that's great. Actually, our only neighbor. He's yeah. our only neighbor. <laughs> he lives great. just up the hill here. Just walks down. He walks down. That's great. So, so. what? Uh, in in looking at your bio and some of the things you've done, I saw that you did a hospice project in. Uh, oh, a long time ago. Yeah. I wanted to yeah, to ask a very you. Very long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in 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 your building of community and have an intention behind the food and the things you're doing. You know, is there a relationship to to death in this that you see, or is that is, is that ever come up for you? And your, I mean, it seems yeah. like you've got in the winter months when you're not writing and teaching and oh, speaking, yeah. you got time to philosophically muse. And honestly, I know this type of work. I do a, a fair yeah. bit of gardening, and that's what you have time to disassociate. Almost, you can. Yeah. Your hands are busy, and your mind is free. Yeah. 
Um, do you ever think about death in the context of what you're doing? All the time, here? every day. You know, yeah. you, you know the, the the physical, biological nature of the work is it's you know there's death happening every minute of the day that we're doing our job. You know, um, uh, but then there's um, you know then there's the um, kind of the ongoing inhabitation of the land itself. So this land was um, homesteaded by the Rogers at the turn of the last century who built that, that house just just fell uh, just a week ago, actually. Yeah. And they built, that was their first building. They lived in there with their animals and then that, that was their second building. Uh, but that, but it was also, this land has been inhabited for thousands of years by the Coast Salish people who fished in the creeks and the lake and, and, um, uh, wildcrafted camas along the, you know, and then, uh, you know, all the way through. In fact, I, you know, it's this, I've been writing another book, which is called Passing Through, and it's really the story of this land told in the voices of everyone who's passed through here. But the point is that, um, uh, you know, both as a function of my age, uh, watching my parents at the end of their lives. My, well, my father died a couple of years ago, but my mother, who just left earlier today, you know, uh, at 91. And um, being aware of the transitions of this land and the fact that we, you know, you can, you can, we can do all we want, but you can't, you know, you have to move on at some point, you know. So by nature of um, knowing that we are just like one tiny link in this whole chain of, humans that have inhabited this land and our time here is a blip in the broader geological framework um, you realize okay, first of all you you ask yourself the question what is our purpose here you know well from the land from the perspective of land it's to leave it more fertile more biologically diverse to use our time here to nourish and to educate right that's kind of my philosophy you know right and to leave it in much better condition than we found it you know uh, and uh, that's not a criticism of those who came before. That's just, you can always do that, you know. And um, But also, living on a place like this where everything I've done <laughs> on this land, uh, I find, you know, an old glass bottle or a square nail or all kinds of things I've found, you know. The, the, the wood barrels that they used to, produce bootleg um, rhubarb wine and, and apple and pear cider, hard cider. This was the biggest operation in the Northwest of that, you know. Um, so when you, when you experience those layers, you recognize the importance of remembering whose shoulders you're standing on, right? That's really important. And the older I get, the more important it is to me to honor and recognize my elders whose shoulders, because I'm becoming an elder, right?
we've driven and all so, the way here to so see So I it. want that, I, you know, I, I, if I want that respect, I have to give that respect, you know. Yeah, we, you know, Elliot Coleman and I started a group called the Gathering of Agrarian Elders about um, four years ago. We meet every other year you know, in California. We bring together about 35 folks who've been farming for 30, 40 years or more, you know. And we sit for five days and just talk about stuff. It's awesome, you know. So that's kind of the, the that's a that's the elders group. Of course, I have credibility, you know, I, I go to these meetings and I got to, you know, like present my birth certificate because nobody believes me that I'm old enough to, but that's that's genetics. That has nothing to do with anything else, you know. So Although this week... I'm sure I look at it was a hard week. Yeah, so. you've had a lot going on, man. Oh, like, it was a crazy week. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, so. Uh, you know, I, I hate to bring bring up death necessarily, yeah. but no, uh, death is that's a good one. Yeah, it's kind of always yeah. always with us. I, I think about it a lot. Yeah, I, I think I talk about it probably too much, but uh, I don't think we, any of us talk about it enough. My mom sure does. Yeah. How she's, old is she? Well, she's seventy five, three, four. Yeah. But she's a hospice and palliative care and oncology nurse uh, and will not retire. Oh, she's a nur- nurse. Oh, she will yeah. not retire. She loves her yeah. work. She puts the same sort of that's, passion. That's blessed work. Man. Yeah, it's very blessed. She's yeah. she looks she looks at it like you do a vocation, yeah. not a job. Right. And it's uh, it's a special thing, and it's it's heightened my awareness of I don't know the death being as much a part of life as yeah. you know graduating from high school or you know, right. <laughs> kicking a soccer ball or whatever. You know it's. Yeah. It's just part of the deal. But uh, in, in the context of food, it, it makes me think about the work. And I've heard you uh, refer to real work. And I, if you don't <laughs> mind telling me, yeah. just for, for anyone listening, would you tell me what, that, what you mean by real work? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, as always, I successfully get myself in trouble. But I'll continue down that pattern. Just say that, you know, there's a lot of things people do now. Uh, that have no uh, physical embodiment, you know. They're working on the airwaves, you know. It's you know like um, <laughs> podcasting in a van, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I'm part. I, I'm not separating myself from this. I, I'm not putting myself above anything. Certainly, honestly, no. I'm not. You know? I know. But I do feel that there is um, part of you know. Um, in my view, um, we all need to participate in the real world, and the real world has soil and plants, and um, you know the need to build things and right. make clothing and you know heal and um, and I think um, I, I personally believe that. Um, every human should at some point in their life have spent time uh, engaging in the act of producing nourishment even if it's for six months or a year just so that there is a recognition and acknowledgement and understanding of what is essentially one of the most fundamental things that we do we all eat food has to come from somewhere there has to be some recognition of this the most yeah. fundamental thing in our existence, you know, or one of the most fundamentals, I should say. You know? Yeah. So, you know, real work, I mean, I, um, I uh, feel like that 
there has to be a in my experience I have to have a balance of the of physicality where I'm actually out with my hands in something doing something with you know this kind of thing that we're doing right now or writing about it or you know right um, I, a lot of my colleagues that go that are out on the road giving speeches are no longer they're just talk talking heads you know sure and uh, I've never been able to accept that as a possibility. I do the talking head thing, but I do it for about three or four months in the winter. And yeah. what would I have to say? I mean, wh where would the stories come from? You know, what, what, <laughs> what, where's the authenticity of my experience if I'm not still involved with it? You know, do I have the right to talk about something that happened ten years ago or twenty years ago? You know, is that enough? You know, um, so I do think we're living in a time when uh everything uh, for a lot of people their entire world is you know a, on a screen and that worries me a bit you know sure um you know yeah i i i i, I probably sound incredible like a total curmudgeon but that does concern me you know like the this technology which was supposed to bring us closer together. In some ways, I think it's done just the opposite. You know, so. Yeah, strangers in private is what I like to think strangers of. Strangers in private. Is that we've, we've yeah. become it. But I want to clarify for anyone listening, you did just host like a, a benefit for the arts, or there was a, oh, like, God I yes. mean, you're, yeah. which is a, you know. I, I am, you know, I, I play music, I make yeah. photographs, I, yeah. I mean, I came into the digital photography world kicking and screaming because most of my career was using yeah. chrome film. film. Yeah. And it was uh, garbage for a long. Digital was terrible for so long. It was digital bad. And I, was I just well, and I thought it was bad for so long. I kept I w was <laughs> completely unwilling to accept right. that it, you know, yeah, no, that it, anything could be as good as light passing through film. You know, yeah. So. But um, yeah, no, no, I'm not. I look. I uh, I I use the internet every day. I for email. Yeah. You know? I don't do social media. I I I at least personally, people have set pages up and then given up in frustration because we refuse to participate you know <laughs> um but i um so i'm not against technology i'm not sure. a luddite at all i'm a uh, I, I believe that there has to be a um that you know life has to be lived on a lot of different levels you know yeah so. And, you know, the the medium is the message, as they say, and your medium is soil and, and, yeah. and most Food. of the time and then the rest of the time, your medium is books, which I'm glad yeah. you're writing. Your photographs yeah. are fantastic. We'll, yeah. if, with your permission, we'll share some with yeah, our yeah. our social media following. Listen, yeah. it's all new to me. I've yeah. not had a social media following or uh, presence at all yeah. until doing this. And it's kind of prerequisite. You sort of, in order to successfully oh, yeah. broadcast this sort of there, thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, you, it's, your point is well taken on the on on. Yeah, look, if I had a younger cyber chauffeur who was here all the time who could kind of navigate, right. I, I'd be using it like crazy. Sure, sure. I need a curator or somebody to do that work. You know, yeah. We haven't found them. You know. No, I, I can. And we have for bits and pieces of time, and then you know they're things. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I would be. I mean, my eldest son, who actually arrives with his family today. Oh, great! <laughs> you better uh, get busy. Yeah, is uh, he's like, I think he lives half his life online, you know. Mm. But 
it's interesting as a kid who was raised without television, you know. So there yeah. you go. What, yeah. what can well, I say? That was one of the reasons I was asking you about your childhood or how you got to that, you know, yeah. that place in Ojai. Because you know, yeah. I don't know. If, are we both friends with Charis Ford? Do you know Charis Ford? Uh, he's a mutual friend of David Cupper. Anyhow, he he was raised a hippie kid, and he reversed the diet that he was raised on as macro neurotic. <laughs> so it's it's That's always really good. Yeah, you kind of twist away from anyhow. Yeah, uh, what does he eat now? Yeah, everything. Yeah, he's a pretty healthy guy, but yeah. you know, it's everything in moderation, especially moderation. <laughs> it's awesome. But uh, so yeah, macro neurotic. My uh, my youngest son, who you just missed, my wife and and Benjamin went off to Vancouver to do. Uh, restaurant deliveries you know mm. um victoria in vancouver he would uh he would be roaring at that con because he's just he's <laughs> he in that raised. stage where yeah you know he's going to do exactly he's he, just to, just to get me you know sure. yeah. so whatever what well, I say? yeah <laughs> it, it it balances out in some point in some yeah point. he'll get, come back to it I'm yeah sure, so. yeah well, uh, I know you've got a lot of things to do. No, I, no, I we're good. I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I wanted take, to... Relax. Take your time. Yeah, we're great, good. Great, great. Yeah. Well, I, there's a couple of things. Before we get to talking about soul food, which is very... Um, it's a, a passionate thing that I, I'm very curious about. Um, I wanted to talk one about one more thing. The uh, You've talked about kind of manifesting uh, a destiny for yourself or manifesting sort of a, how did you, you know, a vision. Yeah. And that's, that's becoming increasingly popular in, uh, in, in culture. You know, you hear guys like Jordan Peterson or oh. you know, sort of authoring your own life. And that's, yeah. there's this whole kind of push to get young men out from behind the screen and to kind of write a goal and yeah. to sort of pursue it. What, what struck me about that is it is sort of an indiv- individualistic thing. And I yeah. want to preface it by saying we are very much pursuing an individualistic. We're in our own little van, our own little yeah. world, exploring. We've quit our jobs. We're taking two That's years awesome. to do this thing. So I, I'm a big fan of, of manifesting one's own vision. <laughs> but it, I'm wondering how you square that with um, some of the aspects that uh, the factory farm has taken from us, that, that uh-huh. sense of community and that yeah. sense of you are not necessarily just an individual cog and in you, know, you you are right. you're part of a thing yeah. you know they, they they're two not necessarily mutually compatible ideas on paper i was wondering if you wouldn't mind yeah how do you sort of work that out yeah it's interesting you know um uh you know on one hand you people would conjure an image of somebody in this profession farming profession is kind of you know this rugged out on the land on their own you know conquering their you know generals in the field you know uh almost kind of this solo perception you know one person on a tractor in a vast field you know uh which is kind of the uh was was the industrial goal you know um and uh and fairly successful i mean you know really um the industrialization of agriculture, uh, in many ways, was um, uh, very successful in creating a kind of a mass migration uh, away from farms and family farms and rural areas into the cities, and you know, because we no longer needed them, you know, they're just you know unnecessary, you know. So those of us who are kind of recreating 
a new agriculture, if you will. And I say recreating because I don't see what we're doing as anything new, you know. We're just picking up the threads from something very old, you know. Um, are recognizing that the inherent nature of the work that we do requires more hands and more eyes per acre, you know. So, um, uh, and that's, on one hand, people would say, well, that's inefficient. That's not, you know, that's not, I, I say that's a good thing, you know. Um, and it's a challenging thing, you know, extremely so. It's challenging because we don't really have the hands, in spite of all the hoopla around this movement. If you really scratch the surface, most of the work uh, being done all throughout North America on organic farms uh, is predominantly being done by people from Mexico or Central or South America, you know, still, you know. Uh, and there's a lot of white people, I mean, there's a lot of them, uh, you know, there are like native, there are people, I don't, I don't want to say Native Americans, but people from the U.S. or Canada or wherever who are doing that work. But they're, you know, often, you know, many of them become managers or become, and so, um, you know, it is certainly less mechanized. We are mechanized, but it requires a, a um, uh, a certain physicality and human participation to do the kinds of things we're doing, right? Unless you're a grain farmer, you know. And so um, there's a, I don't think we've caught up with ourselves. In other words, I think the, the need is there, but the labor is still coming from somewhere else, you know. It's, that's weird, you know. Yeah, and so um, now that's not. I don't want to make that statement as a brash across the board generalization because it's not entirely true. Uh, there are plenty of there are many farms who are not using imported labor, you know, and um, uh, we've done both, you know. Uh, for you know, in California, it was you know uh, a lot of. Uh, we had the same family from Mexico working with us. We were about half and half, you know. I, I'll uh, just preface by saying, I, to hell with the borders. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, we're no, here I think in, that border thing is insane. But, we're here yeah. in Canada. Uh, we're so happy to be here. Everybody asks us about Trump, and we have to apologize fairly often. <laughs> so just, uh, yeah. I, I, I well, don't mean I that mean, as a shot across any border. If, if, if I'm going to shoot at the border, it's to knock down the wall. You know. That's right. Yeah, I mean, at least Canada has a really awesome program. Really you know, relative to the U.S., which is a... Boy, which one? Uh, seasonal Agriculture Workers Program, which actually is, you know, full medical, paid flights, inspected housing, uh, wage requirements. It's all, it's really good. It's not not illegal. You know, yeah. people you're are really... Treated with dignity. Treated with dignity. Yeah. 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 Uh, look, it's not perfect. Sure. And there's crazy stuff going on everywhere. But, but uh, anyway, I think that um, we... Um, our vision and our ideals uh, as to where we need to go with the food system um, have not entirely lined up with the reality of where we are, obviously, you know. And I'm talking about we being the alternative food movement, you know. And we are still fractional. Tiny f drop in the bucket in terms of the broader food system. It's, it's 
it's hard to fathom. We this is a question we've been asking ourselves: How is it possible that after all these years, some of us have been, you know, plugging away at this for over forty years, that the numbers are still so small? You know, you know, acreage-wise, and you know, and people-wise, you know relative to the broader industrial system how is this possible you know what's going on you know so anyway yeah well you you're trying to uh to address that uh through a number of ways and the fact that you're not just here on the farm that you spend your winters you know uh working on these other broader projects you know you said it's the the big the big ideas are great, but it's the little tiny details that matter. Well, yeah. But the details that you've been working on, specifically with this, the Soul Food Project and the consultations you've done around the world, I would imagine that uh, that sort of model and trying to catch up with the scale of uh, of typical conventional agriculture. I, I dealt with this in renewable fuel. I worked mm. in the renewable fuel business for a while, and the talk about a drop in a bucket scratching up against the surface of something that didn't even notice we were there yes you know and and actually honestly co-opted our message to sort of soften the the blow of what you know conventional fuel was doing uh, right. that happens quite a bit uh, and i've also worked in organic food in a very weird way i was delivering uh door-to-door organic food back in like 99 98 in, in new york oh, wow. so we're in a big chevy van all of us stoned out of our minds, driving these big vans all over the place. It's not organic in any way, shape, or form. It's just substituting one input for another and calling <laughs> it organic. Shipped from this stuff was coming from Oregon and Washington, yeah, all the way across still the country. Going on in, in spades, so it goes on everywhere. Even more so. Yeah, even more so. Yeah, we uh, today we walked by the little grocer in town, and we just walked by the front, and uh, I saw a beautiful array of, of out-of-season fruits. Chile, Argentina. The closest thing was California. I mean, yeah. So I, I, I get it. I'm, you know, it's it's nice to have an organic apple, but if you're eating that in the middle of the summer, you know, if you're eating asparagus out of season, and it's organic, is it really? You know, I, I get it. There's a long way to go. There's none of it is perfect, but yeah. what I'm sorry for that tangent, but what That's I'm right, yeah. what I see in uh, in in what you're doing with um, with soul food is is really kind of a beautiful thing because you're addressing the job aspect that we were talking about with the yeah. the migrant labor being such a, uh, an issue mostly for the poor people who are exploited on the on the uh, the working side of it um, so if you wouldn't mind just kind of maybe tell everybody what for for one what it is and then um, yeah we'll ask you some more about it yeah well I mean soul food uh, street farms. Uh, I started with a younger colleague of mine uh, about 10 years ago on the downtown east side of uh, Vancouver, um, British Columbia. The downtown east side is the neighborhood where the term Skid Row was coined. It's actually a logging term, you know. Um, and it's the uh, poorest postal code in the whole country, highest rates of um, intravenous drug use and overdoses anywhere in North America, you know. Uh, it is, it's about a 15-square-block area that's almost entirely inhabited with folks who are dealing with long-term addiction, mental illness. It's, it's really, um, it's truly unlike any place that I've been anywhere in North America, certainly. Um, and so my uh, colleague and I started, uh, we, we, we had, we're having meetings with the local organizations, and we, there was a real desire to try something unique something agricultural. I was kind of called in after people had already been having these conversations. There was a half acre 
parking lot next to a dive hotel available. And we essentially created a uh, um, um, production urban agriculture social enterprise um, that now employs you know, 25 people, uh, produces uh, 50,000 pounds of food annually, you know, that's 25 tons of food annually on four plus acres of parking lots using a very innovative uh, uh, system. We designed this, these particular boxes, you know. Uh, and uh, we've had a fairly profound impact uh, on the people we've worked with, um, certainly way beyond anything I would have ever expected. Um, and I think a profound impact on people who have heard their stories and heard the story of what we're doing you know I mean we're um, on both a social and agricultural level it's um, I think probably agriculturally it's it's fairly unique uh, you know people have been using these terms urban agriculture and uh, most of which is fairly garden scale you know yeah um, I think a lot of professional farmers roll their eyes and take umbrage at the use of the word agriculture being uh, referred to somebody's got their front yard and a few vegetables, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we've been trying to create a model that's truly agricultural, uh, that provides a lot of employment and provides production quantities of food. That was the pro those were primary goals. You know? uh, and you know we've had mixed success, but I think overall socially very successful for sure. You know. said there were successes and and you know things that didn't work out oh uh, yeah yeah well you know um i uh <laughs> my dog is hilarious <laughs> she's so sweet she is awesome. she's sitting she's here face, next to me um yeah you know so i uh my last book that came out which is about a year or so ago was um uh kind of chronicles the story mostly you know uh, at this point in my life, I think it's far more informative for people to hear about the things that didn't work out. This is the the book is is not a, um, some sort of you know fluff piece about how well we did. It's pretty much how, this was a really hard thing to do, and this is where we fell short. And here's a few successes, but it's mostly in the words of the people who we've worked with. You know, I think that when I consider the project from the perspective of success or failure, and those are really relative terms, um, I always fall back on the people that we're employing, you know. Uh, really, what is what has it been for, for them, you know? And so the book actually tells their stories, you know. And, um, uh, you know, Lyle, you know, um, 
who says, you know, if I didn't have this job, where would I be? Dead? In an alley shooting up or in a penitentiary? And, you know, Lyle's not somebody who is given towards romantic reflections on a life that was not particularly pretty, you know, robbing banks, providing collection services for drug dealers, um, surviving the jump off the top of an 18-story building, you know. So he, you know, when he says something like that, there's probably something to it, you know. Um, You know, Kenny, who our first neighborhood farmer, comes says he comes to work feeling miserable, leaves feeling relief and hope, you know. I mean, you go down the list, there's a, been a lot of... Uh, and our goal is not... We're not there to get people off of drugs or to save anyone. That's not the goal. It's to provide a meaningful engagement, a sense of community, a sense of purpose, some place to go, you know, a reason to get out of bed each day, you know. Uh, these, It's a very simple model, extremely so, but it's had some profound impacts, you know, so, yeah. I, I really appreciate the the outlook. It's it's not, oh, white people are here to save you in, in your poor neighborhood. We've got some great ideas, and we know exactly what you need. I appreciate that because that's, that's yeah. I mean, thing. you know, look, we've uh, <laughs> um, we've made plenty of mistakes. I'm not suggesting that. Um, you know, I uh, I don't know how many years ago it was. Maybe twenty five, thirty years ago. I uh, participated in a project in Watts in Los Angeles. I don't know if you know that community, but you know Watts is makes the downtown east side look like Beverly Hills. You know, it's a pretty rough place. And we, we on a three-acre parcel down there, we uh, planted this incredible production garden. Um, but you know uh, the uh, the um, Theft and vandalism and incredible challenges of that project. Um, uh, even though it has had an influence on people to this day, there's a project down there that is kind of a continuum of that. Uh, in the end, you know, it was clear that I'm not from that neighborhood. You know, I'm not. Uh, my skin's not black or brown. I don't really belong there. And I, that was a powerful lesson because I had to, ex- uh, um, first of all ask myself the question, what does it really mean to help, you know, and how, how do we do it well, you know, and, um, and, you know, I don't, I didn't belong in that neighborhood, right, and, you know, so you fast forward to soul food and 25 years later, and my hope is that we've kind of done it differently, but we've also made some of the same mistakes, you know, so it's, um, uh, now, 10 years still going, which is a, a, somewhat of a miracle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a miracle. In a restaurant that I think restaurants might age in dog years, that's, you know, that's a lifetime. Oh, yeah. That's 10 years. Yeah, so. dog years. yeah, that is a long time. That's a good long Well, while. for a project that is based on land that is, uh... yeah, no, it's um, it's a miracle. I'm, you know, running out of steam for it. I'm backing off, you know. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, a project that's based on leased land in the most expensive city in, some say, in the world, is 
that's still going is pretty amazing, right? We have some, we, we are sitting on some of the most valuable real estate, you know, <laughs> parking lots that are. I can imagine. Yeah, so. It's, before we go too far away from it, is it compatible? Is, is modern uh, city life and the way that we've organized our societies, have we just, is it broken? Is it going to end up, are we just going to be on machine? You know, the, the image of a man in a tractor, it's just going to kick the man off. The tractor's going to do it all. <laughs> That's you know, right. is, is, there, is there any hope for anything other than small pockets of agrarian communities? Is there a hope for like sort of yeah. a more... I don't know, uh, agrarian society melding with, you know, the screen and the computer. Yeah. Is there any hope for that? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I, I uh, my father was, who died in 92 a few years ago, was an incredibly optimistic person. And he had lived through, he had seen the world go through a number of different things, you know. I like to say I'm not terribly optimistic. I'm very hopeful, you know. And I think there's, those are there's a difference there, you know, and um, hope is necessary to get up every morning. Or you, you know, there's there's, a, there's enough bad news out there that you could, you know, never leave your bed. You know, pull the covers over your head, and you know, um, or jump in a van and drive. And jump for in a two van years. and drive, or move to a <laughs> remote island, and you know. Um, yeah, I'm very hopeful. You know, I. Um, and watching a number of these younger people who we've uh, worked with or apprenticed or, you know, and seeing the creativity they're bringing to the work they're doing, the inspiration, the ingenuity that they are bringing to it. So that gives me some sense of hope. I, I don't see the numbers that I'd like to see, and I don't see the, the uh, staying with it-ness. I see for good reason you know somebody does the work for a few years and they go whoa this is number one this is really hard <laughs> and I'm not making enough money and they go you know but I'm still remain hopeful that there's going to be a percentage of those people who who do stay with it um, I think the fundamental problem though is um, the 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 system as a whole is 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 um, faulty because as long as we expect 2% of the population to grow for the rest, that 2% of the population has to do, either they have to take on industrial techno-chemical methods to produce hundreds of times their own weight, or they have to work like crazy like I do, um, uh, very physically. Uh, we, it's not that we don't use machines or we don't have technology, but... And it's not that we're not getting smarter about how we do stuff, but um, but to produce for the other ninety eight percent is a that's the problem that's the fundamental problem. We don't have a food crisis; we have a crisis of participation. That's fundamentally what we're dealing with here. And so, to me, this reliance on farmers, this tiny kind of group to do what they're doing is it's it's nuts it's crazy you know and so i think we need to change that equation and that's a massive cultural social shift and but the point is that if more if if we go back to you know if we had even 30% or you know of the population doing it 
which spreads out that responsibility and allows people to have a light. Maybe to, you know, maybe you're not growing for a thousand people. You're only growing for a hundred people. You know, I'm I'm just making up numbers here. You know, to me, this is the core of the whole um, issue. I don't see. You know, I don't I don't I don't want to get hung up on pesticides and herbicides and chemical fertilizers and genetic engineering and all this stuff, which is nasty business. Let's not, let me be clear. Those things evolved because so few people are trying to feed the rest. So deal with the, let's talk about the more, the more difficult question, you know. Uh, and we will continue to seek out these, these crazy ideas to try to resolve what is fundamentally a social and cultural problem, you know. So technical solutions to a, technical chemical genetic solutions to what are social and cultural problems. Yeah, yeah. It's like most things, it's a people problem. It's a people problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, look, I don't blame people for not wanting, you know, my mother was here for the last 10 days and she was like, you guys are insane, you know. You got to, I mean, we're, you know, we work too much. And some of that is, it's like, I don't know how we hold it together if we don't, you know. And so I don't blame people who, like, I don't blame my own kids who grew up watching us for wanting to run the other way, you know. All those agrarian elders that meet together, accomplished farmers who've been at it, who are well-respected in their communities, there's a tiny fraction of those people that meet together whose kids are, picking up the standard everybody else has run the other way yeah yeah no i i get it it's tough work it's It's tough tough work the past three years i've been doing uh massage which is very easy work in its way i mean it's it's still hard work yeah but when you hold it up against the other half of my work which was building and gardening and and doing that sort of thing the building and gardening was way harder physically i I mean physically it was very hard i mean the, the sort of almost spiritual drain on you working, doing massage right. is a very different, than the very different things. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I know, I get it. I get why yeah. people want to do something else. You know, it's. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I say that <laughs> all these people who've come through and apprentice with us either in California or up here, you know, part of my job is I'm, I'm not necessarily in the business of making them farmers. I want to give them. A, expose them to somewhat of a real experience, you know. And um, I'd say the result of that is, yeah, there's been a lot of people who have gone on and to do the work as a profession, but a number of people who shouldn't really be doing it who decided not to, and I consider that a success as well. That know? is a success. I saved them, you know. Yeah, you saved them and saved <laughs> so, others. So it's, you know, people. somebody comes up to me and they say, I want to thank you, Mr. Abram, because because of you we bought a farm. I'm like... Do I offer congratulations or do I offer condolences? And please do not hold me responsible, you know. <laughs> so. That's beautiful. Well, uh, we got one more question for you. Yeah. My question's kind of silly, but for people like us living in a van, do you have any thoughts or insights into, like, mobile agriculture? <laughs> mobile gardening. Mobile <laughs> gardening, maybe. That's awesome. <laughs> Just sitting here thinking oh, of man, trying cool. to get inspired, like, what could we do in our little yeah. section of the yeah, world? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, no, I see, I like the idea of, um, you know, wherever you go showing up at the farmer's market and throwing a little support towards whoever is 
growing, you know, and and uh, I it's actually it's crazy to say, but as I've been selling at farmers markets for forty three years or something, and uh, uh, when we travel, where do we find ourselves? We always go to the local markets. It's just it's a social experience. I get to see what other people are doing. It's just I love that scene, you know. And so there's a lot of reasons to go to the markets. Um, I think that I have this idea that I'm going to, um, in my later years, get in a van like you guys with a bunch of tools and just go around and just uh, volunteer at farms. I have a lot of skills and, you know, prune their trees or repair their equipment or whatever, you know. Um, so I have that. I'm I'm. I'm heading, I've been thinking about this for a few years. I wanted to do it sooner than later, but it's not going to happen for a little while. You know, so. Well, we may have a van for selling a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> There's a great sled in the back for tools. It's already All right. funny. Okay. You stay in touch with me because I especially like you can stand up in that thing. Yeah, you, or at least you, I can. You can. No problem. No problem. I, I like the vision of you as like a Johnny Appleseed of farm repair. <laughs> Just, I would. I would. Oh, I, I'm really... Whenever I'm having a really hard week here, I think, ah, oh, that's just, that's where my brain goes is I want to just go off and do that, you know. Yeah. And well, I, you, you, you know, have I, so much to leverage. I mean, you really, you, the, the impact that you could have being be just a talking head, I mean, you really could just be that and impact and do, but the fact that you're still so engaged and want to be hands-on, yeah. the, the fact that you said you want to put together a van full of tools and not a van full of microphones and a bunch of speech <laughs> oh, no, notes. Tools. I did them. I've done the camera. You know, I, yeah. I did little spurts of yeah. travels and interviewing people. Oh, that's really hip, you know, To me, what that's I really want to do is go around just, just volunteer. If if people want, you know, I mean, where where it's desired, I would certainly never impose myself. But and you know, maybe farm sit for a week or two, if you know, or um, or. Uh, um, you know, I love, I do a lot of mobile, pr in the winter I've been pruning people's trees, you know, my friends in California, and, uh, repair equipment, um, whatever, you know, somebody needs, you know, so. You know, we've, we've seen, um, we, we got invited to stay at a, a pot farm in Oregon, uh, and we were there for one night at first, and we came back, I'd actually do some repairs on the van, and we spent four days with these guys. The oldest one was 39, they were all young guys, uh, not no granola there was no corduroy no one was stoned really i mean there was very little actual this pot being profession. smoked Th and these guys one was <laughs> from harvard i mean they were they were really well educated they were into the botany and the science yeah. and it was all organic they no waste water hit the ground they were so passionate about it and they That's absolutely great. loved it and we had just i mean hour upon hour of very spirited discussion about neem oil and and all these different, th I mean, it was just kind of a beautiful thing. So I think it is out there. You know, there's the, there's an great. interest in it, but this, it, they came at it from pot. And, you know, they, they'd worked in the, the, the black and gray markets right. and then came to it in a legitimate way and, uh, and bought this beautiful 23-acre farm. And, and they made a real estate play on top of all these other things. And That's great. So there's, there's something out there. There's something else out there. That's and, great. And, and, I love um, that story. Yeah, I did too. It was really kind of beautiful to get invited to go yeah. at all, and then yeah. and then kind of make. So you've this been connection. going around like visiting all kinds of you Any, know, interesting. Yeah, that's not just farms. Other things as well. Yeah. Every yeah, we're, whatever. Yeah. We're, 
we're taking what we can get. Random you know? people. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. We're going to meet a guy from your town that we just happened to meet today. Oh. We're going to go meet him next. Who is it? That's a guy who owns the, uh, what's it called, Rainbow Trade. Trading Company. Trading oh, Company. I think. Kind of Gary. Gary? We're, we're going to go meet with that Rainbow guy tonight. Trading Company. I should yeah. know Rainbow. It's right next to the foods, the little organic food store or the, uh, oh. the market on the Gosh, road. I don't. That's right. You're pretty That's busy. Bad. That's right. But anyhow, we're so we're, we were encouraged to see that you yeah, know yeah. that there was this farm and these guys and they were. I mean, they work their butts off. They don't have any other labor. They have one employee who's a neighbor. It's very similar to what you got going on. Uh, but so yeah, there, there there's something else out there. And uh, you know, I'm when I'm not running away from work, I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. She's very good yeah. at it as well. So are you doing massage still? Or are you, uh, I didn't bring a table or anything. Yeah. I brought some hot stones and yeah. uh, you know, I've got some oil just in case we have an opportunity to do some, but uh, yeah. I don't want to lose the skill. I'm sure I'll be working on her from time yeah, to yeah. time. But. Awesome. Yeah. Well, is there uh Three before we've signed there. totally off, yeah. um, is there a, I mean, you gave a pretty hopeful message there. You've got hope, which is beautiful. Yeah. You I mean, anything? I have hope. I, 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 um, look, you can't, if, if you wake up every day and look at the newspaper or read the news online or listen to the radio, if you are so desensitized that your heart is not broken on a daily basis, then you need to check in, you know. But, you know, I think that the key is that, um, you know, for every story of, you know, for every natural disaster or uh, violent event or narcissistic, mean-spirited world leader, there are a million stories of hope and possibility, you know, and that we can feel incredibly powerless. I mean, it's a lot of there's a lot of people feeling powerless in the in the face of the enormity of this dilemma we're in. But we have enormous power in and around the places where we live, you know. So I tell people just come back home, you know. Yeah, um, uh, and you know, restore, you know, reignite your world. One, you know, garden or farm. One meal. One individual at a time. You know, don't try to, you know, solve the whole thing. But you can do a lot right where you stand, you know. Yeah. And um, um, so I think that's that's an important piece. I mean, uh, you know, it's not, I'm not suggesting putting our heads in the sand and ignoring what's going on. I'm saying if you want to do something about it, there's plenty of opportunity right where you are. Cheers to that. Yeah. Thank you, Michael Abel. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah, nice Cheers, to be with man. you both. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, Tiffany here, saying thank you for listening to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you haven't already, or it's been a while, check out our website, mtp.d. O-G. There's plenty of information there. An about tab with a little bio on Andrew, myself, and our dog Pele. There's also a van build tab detailing how we did our van conversion. A journal tab and we, as an Andrew, are doing our best to keep that up to date. And last but not least, a contact tab 
where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all. Thank you.